0: church family. Let's read our Bible passages together. My name is Gerhil. I'm part of the staff team around here. There are two Bible passages this morning. The first ones are in Matthew, and you can follow along in the church Bibles on page 970, 970, and then we turn to Psalm 51 and read the first 12 verses on page 573, 573. We start in Matthew first, verse 12 and verses 14 and 15. And forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now please turn to Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me.
1: Thanks. Good morning, church family. Nice and warm, isn't it, this morning? Who's going to the beach this afternoon? Who's gonna watch the tennis this afternoon? Who's gonna get married tomorrow? (laughs) Okay, we're in a series in the Lord's Prayer and uh, we're taking one line at a time and the objective is to help us in our prayer lives. Um, Obviously, because we're taking just one line, we need to look at other passages in the Bible to draw out what the lines mean. And we've come to this request Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And it comes after, give us today our daily bread. And in the Greek, there's an and, kai. And, forgive us our sins. So it seems like we need daily bread and daily forgiveness. Charles Spurgeon apparently was asked, how long do you pray for when you pray? And he said, you know, I tend not normally to pray for more than five minutes, but barely an hour goes by when I don't pray. Apparently, he said that. In in 1517, a German monk launched a protest against the Roman Catholic Church, and he nailed these 95 arguments to the church door in his town of Wittenberg. And the very first argument that he wrote was, When our Lord and Master said, repent, he willed that the entire life of a Christian be one of repentance. So it's not something you just do once. It's something that you do all the time, which corresponds to what Jesus is saying here. We need daily forgiveness. So repentance and faith and repentance and forgiveness are like breathing in and out for a Christian. We need to do it all the time. And the key to Christian growth and maturity is this practice of repentance and forgiveness. So we're gonna divide our time into two. We're gonna look at how do I repent and how do I forgive? First of all, can I talk about repentance? How do I repent? And I guess instinctively, the place I thought to go to was Psalm 51, which is why I asked Gare Hill to read it. And one of the reasons to go here is, if, if there is someone here who needs to repent, you feel, I really have blown it this week, and I particularly need to spend some time repenting. And I did have someone come in one morning, knocked on the door and said, I need to repent of all my sins now, here at Above Bar Church. Well, the psalms is a great place to go because the psalms, they not only speak to us, they speak for us, and you can kind of go through the psalm if you don't have words yourself and use the language that is here. Now, this psalm is a prayer of repentance that rose out of a famous incident in the life of David, and Chris Hughes will be speaking about that on Sunday evening in a couple of weeks' time. David was attracted to another man's wife. He brought her to his chamber. He slept with her. He got her pregnant. And then he arranged for the husband to be killed in battle. And then his friend, the prophet Nathan, came along and he said, hey, I've got a story for you. And he said, my story is this. There was a rich man and he had hills full of sheep. He owned so many sheep. But you know what? he stole a poor man's sheep and he killed it and he made a meal for a visitor out of this poor man's sheep. And that's the only sheep that he had. And David burned with anger at this story. And he, and he said, this man's got to pay four times over. In fact, he deserves to die. And Nathan looked at him and said, you are the man. And David was stopped in his tracks and, he, and in, in the Old Testament in where it's related this story in, in, in 2 Samuel, he says, I've sinned. And he stops living in denial and he repents and I guess we've got some of his prayer of repentance here in Psalm 51. Now we have to say at this point that such is the grace and mercy of God that no matter how much you've messed up, there is a kind of praying that will change you from the inside out because there is a God of grace and mercy who we've sung about, who takes pity, who cancels the debt, who lets you go, forgives you, and brings you in. But when repenting, there's one thing to stop and two things to start. Let's have a look at the the psalm. I think, because it's quite long, let's just look at a few verses, uh, three to five. We'll concentrate on those. Um, David says, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. What David has come to realize, says the Bible commentator, David Kidner, Derek Kidner, is that his crime of adultery and murder is not a freak event. It's consistent with his character. So verse five... Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What is he saying? He's saying my sin is original. It's always been with me. Imagine two types of seed. One is fertilized and watered, and it becomes a tree. The other isn't watered, is not fertilized, and it just dies. Nothing comes of it, It dries up. Given the right circumstances, given the right fertilization and watering, the sin that's in our hearts is capable of doing anything. So the thing to stop is to stop being in denial about that. That's what David stops. He, he realizes, I've always been this bad, actually, and I never saw it, but I see it right now. Okay, folks, who watched the TV series Broadchurch? That was one of the best things on TV. It was a brilliant um, murder uh, mystery sort of series. It's actually set not far, just down the coast, on the Jurassic Coast in a fictitious place called Broadchurch, but you can see it's filmed on the Jurassic Coast. And there's the police officer there who it was based in Broad uh, Church. The lady, and she says, "I don't know anyone in Broad Church who's capable of of doing this, of committing this murder." There's been a murder in the village, but David Tennant comes, who's the inspector. He comes down from Scotland, and he says, "Anybody is capable of murder, <laughs> given the right circumstances," and the whole series is to prove that. Go and watch it, it's brilliant. But in repentance, when we pray daily, forgive us our debts, we're stopping being in denial about our capacity to sin and our capacity to, to be greatly dishonest, to be very cruel, we're stopping being in denial, and we're saying, yeah, you know, I've done bad things in my life, but I continue to see it in my heart. Forgive me, Lord, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. So, if you need to repent this morning, if if you sense, yeah, there's business I need to do with God, first thing to stop is to stop being in denial. Now, two things to start, confess fully, renounce completely. So David says in verse four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are just in your verdict and justified when you judge. What he does is he takes full responsibility. He doesn't blame his environment. Maybe he did that originally, but now he's confessing fully and he's not saying, well, you don't know the burdens that I bear as king, the responsibilities that I have that weigh me down, and all the other kings do this kind of thing. I needed some alleviation, it was only natural. No, nope. no blame shifting, no minimizing, and real repentance starts when those things end, minimizing, blame shifting. And then renouncing completely, Comes as he sees what he's done against God, against you, against you only have I sinned. I wonder what you make of that. Um, when I 've read that, I've thought, mm, that's a bit bizarre, because David sinned against others. He sinned against Bathsheba. He definitely sinned against Uriah, He had him killed. He sinned against the whole community, he sinned against the army. As king, he sinned against the whole nation, right? So why is he saying against you and you only? Well, well, actually, it, you know, remember this is poetry, Hebrew poetry, and the doubling of the subject speaks of intensity. So, so actually in the Hebrew, it's against you, against you, it's a doubling. It's a bit like when Jesus says, my God, my God, or when David says, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son. It's, it's a doubling of the intensity. So what this says is that David's heart is breaking. He recognizes that his sin against God is so foundational. And he recognizes that, that under every sin against a human being is a sin against God. Why do I lie? Why do you lie? It's because... I'm more concerned about my reputation before others than I am about my reputation before God. I cease to think of myself as a servant and I put myself in the place of Lord and Master. So I'm sinning against God before I sin against others. And in repentance, we look at the sin and and we see I've trampled on God's heart here I need to put God back on the throne. Repentance takes love. If you've sinned against your wife, you're only gonna repent if you really love her. If you've sinned against God, you're only gonna repent if you really love him. And you see that you haven't just broken his law, you've broken his heart. And in this Psalm, that's what David saw. David saw that before he ever committed physical adultery, he committed spiritual adultery, and so he says, "Restore to me the joy of my salvation." I'd, I'd put my joy in other—I put my joy in sex and power. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. My joy was located in completely the wrong place. Does that happen to you? Your joy is located in the wrong place. I renounce that, says David, that ingratitude. Please cleanse me, put a right spirit in me. Give me a clean heart. Grant me a willing spirit. I renounce where I've gone. I I want you to be the source of my joy again, the, the hope of my restoration. That's what he's praying in the psalm. So, if you need to repent, if you need to seek God's forgiveness, maybe you could use Psalm 51. Stop being in denial. Start confessing fully, renouncing completely. And the promise of the gospel is, when you do that, he's faithful and just and will forgive you all your sins and purify you from all the unrighteousness that stains you because as far as the east is from the west, he will remove those transgressions You and there will be no more condemnation, and He will restore to you the joy of your salvation. And you can revel in grace again, and you can be a person of grace again, because just as forgiveness flows in, it flows out. That's what Jesus is saying in in His prayer, and that is the good news of the gospel. So, Jesus says, When you pray, pray, forgive us our debts, but also pray as we have forgiven our debtors. So we've looked at how to repent, now how to forgive. Quite heavy, isn't it, this morning? Can I say a little bit about what forgiveness is not? Forgiveness doesn't mean being a doormat. It doesn't mean that you keep lying down and taking the wrong over and over. Forgiveness does mean a lot, but it doesn't mean being a doormat. A key chapter to help us look at this very quickly, I know it's hot, is uh, Matthew chapter 18. Can we turn to Matthew chapter 18? I promise I won't be long. But look at verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, skim read the next bit. Um, If your brother is sinning, says Jesus, Go and talk to them. Don't gossip about them. Don't have a prayer meeting about it. Don't move into denial. Go and talk to them out of love for them and the community. Now, if they don't own what they did, get someone else as well to talk to them who knows them. If if they're still not getting it, go back with even more people. But Jesus doesn't envision a situation where you're alone with that person again that's unsafe for you. Whatever forgiveness means, it doesn't mean that when somebody hurts you, you just ignore it. I I think many church communities might have got that wrong. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation either. Reconciliation is a two-way street that takes two. Forgiveness does not take two, apparently skim down into Matthew 18 and look at verse 35. Where is forgiveness located according to verse 35? Point to it. Where is forgiveness located? In the heart, in the heart. So forgiveness doesn't mean tolerating further wrongdoing. It doesn't mean tolerating abuse. And I say that because in a city like Southampton, in a room like this, there may well be people suffering abuse. And your first priority is not to forgive the person. Your first priority is to get safe and then to begin the hard work of forgiveness. But I don't wanna dampen down the force of the text. Discipleship does mean living a life of habitual, Forgiveness. It is easy to be blind to an unforgiving spirit and not see it in yourself. The writer to the Hebrews says this see to it that no one misses the grace of God, Hebrews 12, 14 to 15, and that no bitter root grows down to cause trouble and defile many. Unforgiveness is like a bitter root that defiles the soil. Unforgiveness is like a root of bitterness that that works in a subterranean way, underground. You know, often we never admit how mad we are with people who've wronged us. You might be saying, well, this this isn't a problem for me. I wish so-and-so were here in church this morning. (laughs) In Luke 17, verse three, Jesus says, watch yourself. So what does forgiveness involve? Well, Jesus tells a story. I'm not gonna read it all, can you, can you skim it? It's, it's Luke 18, verse 21 to 35. Can I um, summarize the story? Jesus tells a story of a king, and this king had a servant who basically owed him zillions of pounds. Unpayable, it was unpayable. And normally, if you had a debt that big, You would work as a slave to pay it off. But the servant gets down on his knees and begs for mercy. Please forgive the debt. it's, It's recounted in economic terms. There's a debt. And what did the king do, verse 27? He did three things. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. This is forgiveness. You take pity, you cancel the debt, you let the person go. So if your brother sins, says Jesus, still a brother, if your sister sins against you, still a sister, what we tend to do is we caricature the offender What does a caricaturist do? Caricaturist takes a feature like the messy hair and blows it out of proportion. Or if your eyes are too close together, caricaturist makes them really, really close together. If you've got a big nose, caricaturist makes it even bigger. And what we do when someone sins against us is we caricature. We we make it so much bigger. If the person lies to you, they're a liar. If you lie, it's because you're complex. (laughs) But when we take pity, we say, yeah, I often screw up as well in different ways. Maybe I wouldn't have done that because we all have different weaknesses as well. Maybe I wouldn't have done that, but I also fall short. I know what it's like to screw up. You take pity, you empathize. Then secondly, you cancel the debt. You inwardly pay the debt yourself. With forgiveness, there's always a debt, right? There's, if someone sins against you, there's always a debt, and the currency is pain. They owe you, and the currency is pain. You, instinctively, you want to see that person suffer who's hurt you. It's what we're like as human beings. We want them to pay. A direct way to make them pay is you yell at them or you are extremely cold to them. An indirect way is you gossip about them and you ruin their reputation. You put pins in them in your mind. You wanna see them squirm, you feel better. But the teaching of Jesus is if you make them pay, it actually twists you and you feast on your own skeleton. Forgiveness means you pay. Somebody has to pay. When there's sin, Somebody has to pay. The debt won't go away. And so forgiveness is when you want to run them down, you don't, and it hurts. When you want to slice up their reputation, you don't, and it hurts. Why does it hurt? Because it's costly. Forgiveness is costly. But I make a decision to refuse to make them pay, Hurts like crazy, but eventually it makes you free, says Jesus. And you let them go. Take pity, cancel the debt, let them go. In forgiveness, you give up your right to exact the debt. You give up the right to retaliate. In the parable that Jesus told, the huge irony is, the servant who owed the master zillions had someone who owed him like a few hundred quid, And so this person says, oh, will you have mercy on me? To the guy who's been shown zillions of mercy. What does he do? Chokes him. Not only will he not let him go, he chokes him. And then he has him thrown in prison. And I think the human race has shown this story to have been repeated many times over. You want them to apologize, you don't want them to apologize when you're unforgiving because you want to see them suffer. You want to choke them. But what Jesus has come to do is to pay our debts on the cross. You know, with his dying breath in Greek, Jesus cried out, tetelestai, you know what it means? It is finished, but it means it is paid. The debt is paid. I've paid it, cried Jesus as he died. And he canceled our debts, says Paul to the Colossians. He nailed them to the cross so that we don't have to pay. He takes pity. He cancels the debt. He lets us go. But not only does he let us go, but he brings us in. And he calls us brothers and children. What we need to do is to put our little story in the context of that big story. We don't minimize what's happened to us. We don't brush it away but we, re- we use those resources of the gospel in a distinctly Christian way to take pity, cancel the debt, and let that person go just as Jesus has done for us. Difficult today, folks, because we live in what's called a cancel culture. People are being canceled left, right, and center for things they've done in the past. They're tried by social media, and they're canceled by mob frenzy. A journalist wrote this recently. Our culture acts as judge and jury with swift justice. If you don't tow a certain line, or you've made mistakes in the past, be careful, because the cancel culture might be at your door next, and it'll make sure that you don't get that promotion, you don't get that job, or a spot on the team. The cancel culture will find out your dirty laundry, it'll expose it and decide your punishment. There's no room for forgiveness or repentance. The plan is just to disgrace you. There's no hope, no grace, no forgiveness because no one can ever change. There's no room for redemption. You're canceled. Praise God, he doesn't cancel us. Cancels the debt, but he forgives us daily for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ.